Acts chapter 3, we're going to read the first 16 verses. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name... By faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. You ever thought about how amazing this miracle was? I mean, the whole thing. This guy, he wasn't just a guy who couldn't walk because he had had an injury or something. He was lame from birth. He didn't even know how to walk. He had never even tried. So even, even with the healed legs, even if his legs got put back together, can you imagine the months and years of physical therapy this man would have to go through today just to be able to walk in a straight line? But God didn't just heal him. He gave him the strength and the skill and the coordination, not just to walk, but to leap into the air. Isn't that amazing? Perfect health. That's what Peter says. He's in perfect health. But rewind just a little bit. If you're Peter and John... If you're Peter and John, you're part of the early church, and, and you're on your way to prayer meeting. They're making their way to the prayer meeting. That's what they're doing at the beginning of this account. This account. And, and, you're, and you come across this beggar, this paralyzed beggar at the beautiful gate. How would you respond? Well, there are a couple of things you might do. One response might be to try to avoid the situation altogether, right? We do that sometimes. What if John had said to Peter, dude, let's not get sidetracked with this guy. He's here every day. He's a hopeless case. We're already late to prayer meeting. You know, let's go. Prayer, prayer is important. You know. um, another response might go something like this. What if Peter and John had approached the man and they had said something like this? Silver and gold we don't have. <clears throat> but what we do have, we're going to give you. You need to know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins that he rose from the dead the third day for your justification, and that he offers you eternal life if you trust in him. Now, that's a little better, right? I'd say it's a lot better. It is not the gospel for everybody? Did God not want this man to be saved from his sin? In the final analysis, isn't the condition of the man's soul more important than the condition of his body? 
Now, I think we can affirm all those things, but that's not the direction the Holy Spirit led Peter and John to take in this particular situation, is it? Now, the Bible doesn't comment on this directly, but let me ask you this. What are the, what are the odds, what are the chances that this guy didn't get saved and become part of the church? Probably slim to none, right? In fact, there are some indications a little bit later on that he's hanging around. But beyond that, I think the passage demonstrates for us a critical truth we need to understand today, and that is that God is not merely concerned about our souls. He is also concerned about our physical bodies. He cares about our bodies. Today, we're going to talk about the third dimension of what the Christian Missionary Alliance usually likes to call the fourfold gospel, and that would be Christ as healer. Christ as healer. And just a little commercial before we go on, let me give you a heads up. Um, If you have a physical need this morning that you came here with, if you have a physical need this morning and you'd like to be prayed for, at the end of the sermon today, I am going to invite you, I promise in the most natural and non-threatening way I can think of, to, to come during our communion time and to be prayed for for that need by the elders. And so um, as you're listening and as we're talking about what healing means and what it is and what it's not and all that sort of thing, you may need to prepare yourself for that time if you're not used to that kind of an invitation. Because I don't want it to be a big deal at the end, especially if you've never done this before, but it's, it's open to you. And so think about that uh, if you have a need this morning. Uh, there is a tendency sometimes, very often actually in the church, to make too much of a distinction between the physical and the spiritual. And to treat the physical world, and by extension our physical bodies, as relatively unimportant. And I think this takes different forms in the way that we pray and act and think. One possibility is is that we will sometimes downplay people's physical needs in an effort to sort of get to the main point. You know, because, you know, we figure, well, what's really important is not that that, that they get their physical problem taken care of, but their spiritual problems. And so in some seasons, in many seasons, the evangelical church as a whole has been slow to show compassion and meet people's physical needs because after all, what's really important is that they get saved. This is also reflected sometimes in our prayer life. Um, in the churches where I grew up, and this is not every church, but I don't recall hearing a lot of prayer for sick people to get well. And um, this is true in many corners of the church. There will be prayer for God to bring comfort to the person who's suffering. There will be prayer for God to help the family. There's prayer for God to give the person the grace to endure the, the, the pain and suffering that he's going through. And there's prayer for him to grow closer to God through this whole process. There's prayer for the sick person to be a good witness as he's dealing with this. But when it comes to the physical illness itself, there's in some corners of the church, there's almost kind of a resignation there. Like there's really nothing that can be done other than to seek the best possible medical care and then pray for God's comfort. But then again, that's okay because our physical well-being is really not the point. It's really all about a person's spiritual well-being. There's another direction this takes too in our lives, and, and that is sometimes we Christians neglect our bodies. Um, not taking care of ourselves physically, overeating, not exercising, slipping into habits that, that do harm to the body. And, and another version of this is falling into sexual immorality because we reason, after all, this is not my soul, it's just my body. God cares about my soul, not my body. Now that may seem kind of silly to you, but it's, it makes a lot of sense in the sense that, that that's exactly what was happening in the church at Corinth when Paul had to write that church a letter 
And one of the things he had to tell them very pointedly in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, because they were involved in so much sexual immorality, was to say, look, people, the body is not for sexual immorality, it's for the Lord. And then, get this, and then he says, and the Lord for the body. And the Lord for the body. What does that mean? Paul is making it very clear that Jesus is concerned about our physical bodies, how we treat them, what happens to them, and what we do with them. That's why in the verses we looked at last week about sanctification, being made more holy, being made more Christ-like, I don't know if you noticed this in the verses that we read last week, but the body was front and center. Our bodies were front and center. Present yourself to God, Romans 6 said. We talked about this in Sunday school class today. Present yourself to God and the members of your body, the parts of your body, as instruments of righteousness. And then in verse verse 1 of chapter 12, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not just your heart. Our bodies are made for Jesus and Jesus cares about our bodies. Jesus is not just for the soul, he's also for the body. Scripture's very clear on that. And how can you doubt that if you look at Jesus' ministry on earth, right? What so characterized Jesus' ministry when he walked among us? Jesus could have done all sorts of miracles, right, to prove that he was the Messiah and to show people that all of what he was saying was true. He could have, you know, levitated camels. He could have called fire down from the sky. He could have made it snow in Jerusalem in the middle of August. All that would have been a pretty good sign, right? But instead, what did Jesus do most of the time? The overwhelming majority of Jesus' miracles consists of setting people free from illness, injury, disability, and demon possession. And many of the demons were causing physical problems like mutinous and seizures and and throwing people into the fire and that sort of thing. Listen, healing, healing was not just a side hustle for Jesus. It was his primary activity along with teaching. Healing wasn't just something Jesus did, it was who he was. It was his calling card. It was how you knew he had come to town. Like if you went on vacation for a couple weeks and Jesus came through to do some ministry and you came back to your hometown, what would you notice? You'd look around, you'd see lame people walking, blind people seeing. People who had been terrorized by evil spirits were walking around in their right mind and everybody giving glory to God. When Jesus healed a paralytic during a synagogue service, it says the people praised God. They said, we have seen amazing, miraculous things today. And they they had a praise service. They praised God. And, And when Jesus stopped toward the end of the Gospels to give sight to a blind man on the road to Jericho, the people, after that happened, praised God. It became like a praise parade as they were walking toward Jerusalem. And now as Peter and John continue the healing ministry of their Lord by extending it to this paralyzed man, the same thing happens. Some of you learned an old song in Sunday school class. Walking and leaping and what? Praising God. That's in the Bible. Attention to Jesus. Glory to God. Healing resulted in attention to Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. The healing ministry of Jesus, both directly when he was doing it and then later on with his followers, It has a lot of different purposes, and and we can't go through all of them today, but one of the purposes for the healing miracles of Jesus and of of those that followed him is is clearly this, declaring Jesus to be the Messiah and the Savior of the world to the glory of God, proving that Jesus was who he said he was. Peter is extremely explicit about this in verse 6 when he actually gets to the part about the, the healing itself. When he talks to the man there, he says, not just in the name of Jesus, He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, Messiah, of Nazareth, this particular Jesus is the Messiah. 
rise up and walk. And then later on in verses 13 and 15 in his little follow-up sermon, he does the same thing. It's the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. This is not what we call today faith healing, what you might see on TV. This is different. The apostles are not doing the healing here. And although the healing is received by faith, absolutely, the power doesn't come from the faith. Power comes from the object of faith. Faith, by its very nature, points away from itself. It's in the name of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, that this man is healed. Jesus is the healer, always. And Peter goes on to say, in the next few verses we didn't read, that Jesus is also being affirmed by God as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the promised one, as the chosen one. And by the way, about 2,000 more people at least come to Jesus, come to faith in Christ for salvation that day because of this whole series of events. Now, does this still happen today? Does, does God still use miraculous healing in Jesus' name to bring people to faith and to prove to them that Jesus is the Christ? Um, this series, if you've missed the last couple of weeks, the series I'm preaching now is patterned after our CNMA DNA Sunday School class that we've had many, many times that is meant to, um, to introduce newcomers to the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And in those um, series of videos, the presenter's name is John Soper. He's a pastor from up in, in New York. And in one of the videos, he tells a story about a time after the service, one of his members approached him and asked him to go visit a friend of his. Um, a lady in, in the hospital nearby who was very sick, extremely sick with hepatitis. And so um, Pastor John, you know, he decided, okay, I'll go visit this lady. He went to the hospital. He found himself being uh, masked and gloved and, and led into, and, and got the gown on and everything and led into the infectious disease unit where he met this lady. And he said she was really sick. He said she had a, a very unhealthy yellow complexion. She had a temperature of over 104 degrees, very bad shape. Um, it also turned out that she was Jewish, and not only Jewish, but she was the daughter of an Orthodox rabbi. And so as he's talking to her, he discovers this, but he, the, lady, the lady, even though that was who she was, she wanted to ask him some questions about the Bible. And she had one question in particular. The question was, how, how can you Christians be so sure that Jesus is Hamashiach, the Messiah? How can you Christians be so sure that Jesus is the Christ? Well, Pastor John shared a couple of Old Testament prophetic scriptures that Jesus had fulfilled. Um, but because the lady was so sick, he said he just couldn't stay very long. He didn't feel comfortable staying that long and keeping her up. So he asked if he could pray with her and then he'd come back and see her again later. So she said, sure, you can pray for me. And he simply prayed this. He said, Lord, please show this lady that Jesus is the Messiah. And then he walked out. A few hours later, he got a call from a very excited nurse who told him that as soon as he had left the building, the lady's complexion had changed, her temperature had gone down to 98.6, her blood test showed no sign of hepatitis or any other disease in her body. Amen. So Pastor John went back to see her the next day. He said, in my 40 years of ministry, I have never seen anyone receive Jesus so quickly. One, one, of the few, one of the few magazines that I read almost cover to cover every time it comes is the one put out by Voice of the Martyrs. We actually have a, a copy of it out in the Welcome Center if you want to look at it. But that's a group that supports and reports on the persecuted church around the world. And in almost every issue, I'm tempted to say in every issue, there's at least one testimony of a person, often from a Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or atheist or animistic background, who comes to Christ because 
he gets healed or somebody he know gets healed in response to the prayers of Christians. And usually, very often, it's because the non-Christians in the town have told him, if you really want to have a chance to be healed, you need to go have the Christians pray for you. So many people come to Christ this way in the developing world, many. Amen. But you know, healing, and we need to understand this in the local church, healing is not merely a, a tool for evangelism, and it's not merely a sign for non-Christians. Divine healing in the name of Jesus is a precious gift that God has given to every local church. And this is where what you see in an alliance church, maybe in this alliance church, might differ slightly from what you see in other churches that you've been to because we do take this ministry of Christ very seriously. Um, I know that it's been like six weeks since we've been in the book of James after that series back in the summer, and some of you are just missing James so much. Can we please go back to James? So let's go to James, just for a minute, chapter 5. James chapter 5. I'm sure we looked at this when we were going through the book, but we'll look at it again in a little more detail, James chapter 5. Verse 13 through 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sin, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Here, in what is probably the most practical and down-to-earth book in the New Testament, if not the entire Bible, is the definitive reference to healing, divine healing, in the local church. And I don't know about you, but what strikes me the most about this passage is simply it's matter-of-factness. It's just so matter-of-fact. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes we think of divine healing, you know, as a big production. But there's no drama whatsoever in this passage. Did you catch that? James is like, are, are, you, are you suffering? Pray. Are you happy? Sing praises to God. Are you sick? Call the elders. Call the elders of the church and ask them to pray for you and anoint you with oil in Jesus' name. Just do that. You see, just like prayer, just like praise, divine healing is part of regular church life. And although we're going to do it a little bit differently today, this week, as far as how we introduce it, to kind of highlight it, this is something that we make available to you every single Sunday at the altar during our, the second half of our worship time, what we used to call the Garden of Prayer. And, and not just every Sunday, but you can call the church office or approach one of our leadership anytime, and a couple of the elders will come and pray with you and anoint you with oil. We do this on a very regular basis. Now, a few questions just based on James's words here. Why the elders? Why the elders? Because they're so spiritual? And because they're a bunch of faith healers? No. It's because as, as spiritual leaders, the elders actually represent you. They represent the whole church. And this is about the church praying for the church. Divine healing is a regular ministry of the local church. It's one of the ways God has given us to serve one another in Jesus' name. And we, when we do this, we, and what we do is we invite the resurrection life of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to come in and bring healing and wholeness and health to one another's bodies. Because God cares about our bodies. Now, why do you use oil? Anointing with oil, that's a little bit weird. Is that like, 
Does that have something to do with medical treatment? Does the oil have any kind of special power? No. And I will tell you, most elders are not medical practitioners. I would not trust a single one of our elders to do even the simplest surgery on my body. Okay? <laughs> Although a couple of them can probably fix your car, just so you know. <laughs> the oil is in many places in the Bible, and it is here, a symbol of the Holy Spirit, a symbol of the healing power of the Holy Spirit who is acting in Jesus' name to heal you. Why does James talk about sin here in the last couple of verses? Well, because on some occasions, though not on all occasions, in some occasions, illness, a particular illness, is tied to sin in a person's life. And God wants that sin to be confessed. He wants the sin to be brought out and confessed to a brother or sister so that it can be dealt with so that God can bring that physical healing because God cares about our whole person. What if I'm not an elder? Am I also allowed to pray for sick people or are they the only ones? That sounds a little bit silly, maybe, but we'll say it this way. The elders, the elders are called upon in the church to do the official anointing in Jesus' name as your representatives, but you probably could tell from the end of James's passage, you're called to pray as well. You're called to pray for sick people as well. We pray for each other. And yes, James is kind of setting up a, a kind of procedure here, and it's a biblical procedure that we need to do our best to follow, but I will tell you, um, in my experience, divine healing is an area where God often demonstrates his freedom to do things his way. And so he often deviates from the procedure. And so don't be surprised if God surprises you in the healing area from time to time. And let me say this as well. I have seen time and time again the healing power of Jesus displayed in your bodies through the prayer of this body, this local body, First Alliance Church of Lexington, North Carolina. It happens here. Back in late 2020, early 2021, we had, we had three of our members hospitalized for multiple weeks, one with life-threatening strep and pneumonia, one with life-threatening COVID-19, and one with a heart attack so serious the doctors, quite frankly, were not expecting a recovery. You all prayed like crazy. God answered. All three of these people are going strong. Two of them are here today. The heart attack guy was over at my house two weeks ago helping me with a problem with my roof. And no, I didn't let him go up the ladder. He didn't want to. But at one point, I think I laughed out loud as I was standing there because I, I just got a vision of two years ago and how I never, ever expected that man to walk out of that hospital room and here he was standing on my lawn helping me with a problem at my house. Brothers and sisters, you need to know this too. God does not always heal the way we ask him to, but he always heals. God does not always heal the way we ask him to, but he always heals. Sometimes right at that moment. Sometimes just the way we pray. Sometimes it's not then, but it's, it's later in God's perfect timing that he heals. Sometimes he heals suddenly. Sometimes he heals gradually. Sometimes he heals using doctors. Sometimes he goes around doctors and often confounds doctors. Sometimes he heals in this life. And then there are times that he moves right to the ultimate healing through a promotion of a person into his direct presence. And we could, it could take a long time to go over all of them. There are many reasons that we could go into why God doesn't always heal the way we ask him to in response to our prayers. But let's, let's put it this way. Since, since healing is always to the glory of God, divine healing is always for the glory of God, the bottom line has to be this. It has to be this. There have to be times when God is more glorified by not healing us than he would be by healing us. 
and we don't always understand that, and we almost never understand it when it's us or it's a family member or, or a loved one who is suffering. But I think sometimes we get a little hint. I have seen our members testify to the goodness of Jesus and even share the gospel with their caregivers from their hospital beds before they get better. And I will say some of the most precious and valuable words of praise that are ever uttered and likely the dearest ones to God's heart are the words of praise that are spoken and sung in ICUs and in hospice facilities and even at the side of an open grave. What is healing after all but a down payment on our resurrection? What is illness but part of the working of death. It's part of the curse, right? Illness is a death thing. It's associated with death. And since death hasn't been put away yet, not all the way, some of its effects are still in place. But Jesus has defeated death on the cross when he paid the price for our sins, for all who would put their trust in him, canceling out those sins forever and setting us free. This is the ultimate healing over sin and death. This is the ultimate healing. And Jesus is free anytime he wants to to send into our lives a piece of his ultimate victory over death by healing us. His resurrection life activated in our mortal bodies. And so we praise Jesus whether he heals us now or whether he heals us later. But I will say this. He brings it now more often than we realize. And there are times when, as James tells us, we have not because we ask not. Less than three months ago in our service, morning service, we prayed for a young lady from Texas who was up visiting with us. She had been suffering from frequent sleep paralysis, which is a frightening condition some people have where you wake up and you can't move. And the condition results in great fear and panic for, for the people who have it, a lot of them. Two of our elders anointed and prayed for this young lady Uh, We had a follow-up conversation in the prayer room with her about not just Jesus as healer, but also Jesus as Savior. Recently, I got a text from her aunt. Since that morning, she had had six straight weeks with no recurrence of sleep paralysis, not one time. The middle school students at their retreat last weekend heard their speaker testify to healing in his own life. He had suffered from a dangerous allergy to chocolate which is to me, that's one of the worst possible conditions a person could have. But um, God had healed him very suddenly and finally and completely in response to a prayer so that he went home and just ate a chocolate bar in front of his mother and scared her to death, but he was fine. Yes, God is still in the healing business. So as we go to the communion table this morning, which we're going to do pretty much now, uh, we're going to do things a little differently. So... um, Pay attention to the, maybe the new instructions here. But the, the Lord's Supper has always been a very natural time to invite people to come to Jesus for healing because here is where we symbolically take the life of Christ into our bodies, his blood, his, his body, into ourselves. Jesus is our strength. Jesus is our sustenance. He's our holiness. He's our very life. But he is also our healing and our health. And so this morning, what, what you're going to see is we've got, you may have noticed, we have commu- little communion tables um, spread out all around the room here. There's six, I think, one in the back, four on the sides, and this one here at the front. And so we're going to, as we, as we take communion this morning, I know you usually grab it on the way in or we distribute it, but we want you to come and take it this morning, and I just want, I just want to invite you to take your time. 
So TJ will come and lead the worship team and we'll sing a verse of a song. I think it might be a new one, so he might be doing the first verse by himself. But, but for those of you who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, after that, we'll just, Mary Beth will just keep playing on the piano. We'll have some music. Just, keep, just take some time to prepare your hearts. Consider the death of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Consider what he's done for you out of his great love for you. And then when you're ready, when you're ready, just go up to the nearest table and receive the elements. You can eat them right here at the front or at the table where you go, or you can bring them back to where you're sitting. You can have them uh, as an individual. You can have them as a couple. You can take communion as a family. You can do it any of those ways. But during this same time, let me go ask the elders now if they would just kind of go to where the tables are. Um, during the same time, there, there is anointing oil available on all of these tables. And uh, we do this every week, but this is kind of special. So this week, let me invite you, especially if this is new to you, or if you've never done this before and you have a physical need, just see what God does today. Just, just consider Jesus as your healer and make him, I always like to say it this way, make him your primary care physician. Just um, approach one of our elders. Uh, they'll be there. They'll be near the communion elements. Uh, they would love to pray with you and anoint you. Um, you can bring a friend. You can come on your own. Those of you who are near the elders as they start praying for someone, uh, you don't need to pray out loud for them. You can just you know, put a hand on their shoulder or, or go and make a circle or whatever and pray for whoever's being prayed for. Um, and so, but, so come however you like. But if you do come, just come trusting in Christ. Come trusting in Christ because he is, after all, our healer. He's our healer. Let's pray.